G'day guys, welcome to the Noob Sparrow Podcast, I'm your host for the show, Isaac, aka Shrek. The Noob Sparrow Podcast is a place where you can find episodes um, that are interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities and characters from all over the world. Today's episode is very unusual, it's a five-way um, but man, what an interview. So it's uh, the first part of a Kiwi trilogy. I recorded it uh, while in New Zealand in early March 2020. And this trip was fully funded by patrons at patreon.com forward slash So if you're a regular listener to the show, I'd encourage you to go and check um, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash and consider becoming a patron listener. Every dollar goes towards trips to do interviews in your part of the world, meet listeners and past guests, try and get some spearing in along the way. This trip, I definitely got some spearing in. There's a, I'm gonna, I've got a huge write-up coming, um, hopefully in Spearing Mag and also at spearfishing.com.au. So I'll um, post those lips, uh, links up in the Noob Spearer community. If you're with us on Facebook, that'll be linked up in today's show notes as well, noobspearer.com forward slash NZ1. Since many of you guys are probably in lockdown with the COVID-19 situation, I'm attempting to publish all three of these New Zealand interviews within the next few days just to give you something to listen to and keep this the, the stoke alive. Um, so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoyed recording them. A couple of quick shout-outs. Um, Johnny Riggs, bit of, bit of trivia. He said, do you know what a school of rays is called? And I had no idea. It's a it's called a fever. So cheers for that, Johnny. A good bit of uh, trivia there for the Spiro. And a um, couple of quick podcast reviews. East Tennessee, awesome podcast, guys. I'm from East Tennessee, and the closest spear shop is about six hours away in Wilmington. So I get all my tips from you guys. Thanks. Keep it up. Uh, great podcast. I've been interested in spearfishing for the past four years. I'm hoping I can get out into the great unknown. This podcast is a wonderful way to learn about spearfishing. Thank you. That was from Deacon. So cheers, fellas. Um, some awesome reviews there. And uh, if you're looking for, if you're just starting spearfishing or you're looking forward to, to meet, meeting more buddies or you, you like learning stuff every week, then joining a spearfishing club in your local area is a really fast way to do that. So um, if you're looking for a club, go to noobspiro.com forward slash Spiro Club. And I've uh, got a whole host of clubs there. If your club's not listed, there's a contact form down the bottom. Or if we haven't got a club in your area, I'd, I'd like to hear from you as well. But uh, go to noobspiro.com forward slash Spiro Club. But anyway, this interview is a little crazy. Five of us on the porch at Blair Herbert's place in the north of New Zealand. And uh, I was two beers in and the banter started. Uh, we talked about commercial fishing, social media and spearfishing, shark conservation, the underbelly of international fishing boats, and uh, Blair's Facebook group, Eat What You Kill. Um, it's actually Tim Caverman's group, but uh, I made a wee bit of a slip up and uh, it turned into a, a running gag. So anyway, all five of these guys love their spear and they're conservationists and uh, also very lively conversationalists. And um, so it's a, it's a fantastic chat. Let's let's hook into the episode. Find everything mentioned at anoopspiro.com forward slash NZ1. Let's get into it. This episode of the Noob Spiro Podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. They've been on board for more than 100 episodes, and I'd love for you to shop at spearfishing.com.au. They have a price beat guarantee, hassle-free returns, flat shipping rates across Australia, and you can save 20 bucks. For every purchase over $200, if you use the code Noob Spiro, you save $20. Thanks for supporting the Noob Spiro Podcast and shopping with spearfishing.com.au. Just for you guys, the legendary noobers, aka the listeners of the Noob Spiro podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. 
I'd like to personally recommend a few for you to check out at noobspero.com forward slash audible. Possibly the greatest of all audiobooks in Audible, 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. I don't know if you guys know about it. It's a mad spearfishing book. Um, at least that well, that's what my mum's review says anyway. So thanks, mum. Another book to check out that I've been reading lately is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willing. This book is slowly killing my inner sook. It's an excuse destroyer and puts a fire under you. The next on my Audible list to read coming up is The Three-Day Effect. The Three-Day Effect is a look at the science behind why being in the wild for a minimum of three days can make us happier, healthier, and more creative. Whether it's rafting down at Utah's Green River, backpacking in Colorado wilderness, or strolling through Green Creek Park in Washington, scientists are finding that immersions in nature can reduce anxiety, enhance creativity, and boost overall well-being. And I, I must say, I'm slightly biased, but nevertheless, I'd love to learn more about the biological and physiological mechanisms that make spearfishing so satisfying. And um, I think this book is intriguing. So check that out, The Three-Day Effect on Audible. Get it today when you go to noobspero.com forward slash audible. So my name's David, from South Africa originally, lived around the world, made a living out of spearfishing guiding. Um, that dream where, lasted for where did you grow up in south africa in durban oh, yeah. god's land so next to the dive shop close enough a couple hundred meters so yeah get brought up with a pretty good quality of gear on your doorstep gives you that um a reliable edge gear something you don't really worry about you take it for granted that there's always going to be someone doing your rigging break a rubber take it to the dive factory mm. the guys sort it out for you you never actually have to ever rig your own gear um, left the country after school, travelled around a bit, got a job as a spearfishing guide mm. and now find myself based in New Zealand working retail in spearfishing of all things. I actually found out when I met you that I follow you on Instagram already, what's your handle on there? It's uh, at David Dupav okay. or um, NZ. new website we started up. Um, and, and hashtag poacher. I believe is is your sort of your handle. It's a pretty bold bold claim. <laughs> I would I would look at the. <laughs> <laughs> That's his Tinder name. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> African poacher. <laughs> that was uh yeah that was back in Africa. <laughs> Times are hard. Yeah. <laughs> Commercial licenses are difficult to come by. Yeah, you gotta make a living, right? You gotta you gotta feed the family somehow. Yeah, things are tough, but um, it's a lot easier in New Zealand now. New leaf and all. Um, and you, you managed to somehow capture a conservationist? <laughs> <laughs> I think she more captured me <laughs> as what? her, as you her biggest... me on Instagram. Yeah, how's that? <laughs> as, as her biggest conservation project. And I found myself here not sure of my identity. <laughs> whether I shoot small fish for fun or whether I do them out of the goodness of my heart. It's definitely affected my outlook on spearfishing in general. Cool. For the positive. It's good to balance each other out, I guess. So you're the hardcore African poacher and she's the conservationist <laughs> and together somehow you don't rape the world. Yeah. That's we awesome. just We just feed ourselves and our, <laughs> and our nearest and dearest. Yeah. Nah, spearfishing's <laughs> definitely, you know, it's not like that at all, so it's excellent. Cool. And uh, E.T.? Hello, everyone. My name's Etoile, but everyone calls me E.T. Why? I'm Etoile it just rolls off the tongue. Uh, my mum's French, but uh, I was born and raised in China, so I don't speak French. And I grew up in Asia my whole life, and it was Etoile was just very challenging for 
Asian people to say. <laughs> so it just became ET. And um, spearfishing in China is off the chain, as I know. Oh, I've never been. <laughs> so where did you start freedom? Um, I went to boarding school in Thailand when I was 13. And I learned how to dive there. And then the past four years, I was living in Indonesia on a sailboat. And I taught myself how to spearfish just for food, mm. for fun. Mm. And then I met David and I realized that people like dig this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, we dig it a little bit. Um, some might say it's an obsession. Um, so when you got in the water and you started shooting fish for food, like um, what was an early sort of thing you had trouble with? Did you just adapt or what was the... Um, well, I didn't know how to, I couldn't load my gun. <laughs> still, still can't. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it, I mean, living on a boat, we had canned food, which was pretty shitty in Indonesia. Yeah. Um. Pretty shitty everywhere. Yeah. It? Yeah. So, you know, you, you have this idea of living on a boat. It's such a beautiful lifestyle, mm. living off the ocean. <laughs> well, no, you're not you're eating canned food. So I was like, might as well you know take advantage of my environment and so i tried and got some fish <laughs> so what species were you targeting <laughs> oh i didn't know anything about fish back then it was just fish okay <laughs> so it's just but safe, typically <laughs> safe sustainable but not selective at all for you uh it was mainly like grouper and and sweet lips when i started okay cool. but small some say undersized, but there's no size in Indonesia. Yeah. <laughs> and is the is the fish like are, are they abundant? Is it is it easy to get started spearfishing there? Um, it depends. So there's a lot of places in Indonesia that are super touristy, and the reefs are very damaged. I was fortunate enough to live on a boat in probably some of the most rural areas in Indonesia. So those places are incredible. But for the average person, it's pretty inaccessible. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even have to dive deep. You can get fish at like five meters easy. Did, did someone show you or did you just nut it out? What was it? Uh, the Indonesian bosun who was on my boat. When we had this old bush uh, spear gun. It was broken and he's like, let's go spearfishing. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so we took the tender out and this is him spearfishing. He puts a mask on he stays in the boat he throws rice he puts his face in the water <laughs> and then he shoots a fish <laughs> oh, sick. i was like dope <laughs> sounds like my kind of spear yeah. <laughs> floating not diving <laughs> plenty of boating time. <laughs> plenty of time to do a podcast too i can multitask you know like, <laughs> <laughs> that. Ah, cool oh well thanks for the intro et so um you're also on Instagram. You guys met on Instagram. What's the story there? Uh. <laughs> oh, is it dodgy? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> it's like for like. It's entertaining. Oh, like for like. You want me to tell the story? Okay. Yeah. So, I was living on a boat. So, <laughs> chin. Hang on, ET's getting here. excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was living on a, a boat in Indonesia. So, accessing some pretty remote dive spots and looking for intel on some of the spots that we were looking to run charters to. Um, in my searching of the internet, Instagram mostly, came across an account called Captain Smolders, which by all accounts I assumed was a man, 
based on the fact it said captain in the beginning and it had some pretty generic kind of bum shots of a girl there's some couple photos which I assumed was the the dude's account and he had a hot girlfriend so I thought well let me hit him up for some intel and get some uh, <laughs> idea of where is accessible enough to go and run some dive trips so we started chatting a couple of days down the line I realized after she sent me the third female emoji that maybe wasn't a dude I was talking to <laughs> And uh, that was the relationship sparkled from there. She ended up being very forthgiving of a lot of her dive sites and sent me a PDF downloadable file of all her all her locations and wow. open CPN of every single GPS point in Indonesia. A lot of GPS wow. points in remote Indo. So she obviously took a liking to me. My Instagram so profile must have been on fire. This could be like a thing for girls, like just seeing guys marks. And poof, you're in. <laughs> I wish it was that simple for us. <laughs> James was telling me to the lengths he goes to to pick up girls. But th thanks for introing yourself. Let's get to James at Southern Spearfishing on Insta. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm James from Southern Spearfishing. Um, I'm Melbourne-based. Uh, I've been diving in Melbourne for, I don't know, six or seven years. Started a bit before that as well, but sort of picked it up about six or seven years ago. And, uh, yeah, started at the bottom and kind of found my niche in that respect. <laughs> yeah, I'm all the way up. <laughs> now, thanks for coming, James. So we're in New Zealand, and uh, the only one yet to introduce himself is uh, Blair, who's a five-time record holder. <laughs> six, six, Blair? Or? Oh, Lost count. It's a grey area, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Where the plug's falling out of. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Blair. Um a little bit different to uh, David and E.T. in terms of I've lived in five houses on the same street my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> what a great country, though, eh? Yeah, well, the thing is, mate, they've come here yeah. to live. <laughs> you know how you got to slay a few princesses? Oh, no, you got to slay a few dragons to get to the princess? Yeah, you started with the I was princess. born at the princess, oh, mate. <laughs> yeah. The land of the long white princess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, racist. <laughs> we're with Africans, it's all right. <laughs> if we're not poaching, we're being racist. You know? Keep no. introing yourself. So yeah, you, don't, you don't just slay princesses. Nah, or, or, or rhinos like David. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, African poacher. <laughs> no, I was pretty fortunate. My, um, my old man, he, um, he's always been into diving. And ever since he was a, a young critter, and uh, he got me into it, and as soon as I could swim, I was just following him around, and you know, now thirty years later, I'm still doing it. So, mm. yeah. And one thing I forgot about you before was that you are very clever with fish species and get geeky with them. How did you begin that obsession? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have like a school teacher that just gave you the bug, or like a book nah. or something. Well, school teachers hated me, mate. They, <laughs> they didn't want me anywhere near them. Um, I didn't want to be anywhere near them either. Um, so, how did you become a fish nerd? Oh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I've always liked it. Um, I think there's a lot of standard old fish, you know, just the bloody Big Mac combos of fish that are just boring as hell. Mm. And you know, there's a hell of a lot of fish around, so you might as well learn about the weird ones. You know, the mm. the the Cajun McChicken, or you know, the the equivalent of that. Just just a weird fish that's, and then learn about it, and then go find it and go kill it. What are some of the records you hold? Give me, give me just one if you remember. Grass carp. 
Grass carp. Yeah. Freshwater. Yeah. That was, that was funny. So we were supposed to go out diving to, um, we were supposed to launch off Takapuna, which is one of our local ramps down in Auckland, and go out to a place called Cuvier Island. Mm-hmm. And um, motor wouldn't start. So we thought, bugger it, we're still now, you know, we've got our dive gear with us. Let's, uh, let's still go diving. So we ended up getting on the motorway. Went about an hour and a half down south to a place called Rangariri, which is famous for its haunted pub. And um, there's a little creek next to it and jumped in and we we're shooting koi carp, which are these bright orange shitty little things. They're, they're a pest in, um, in, in New Zealand and actually Australia as well, I think. And I saw this thing flapping about on the surface, so I couldn't even see, it was about half a metre viz, so I just aimed a gun at where I thought it would be, pulled the trigger, and this bloody thing jumped out the water like a dolphin. I thought, what the fuck have I shot? <laughs> and it was 13 and a half kilos. <laughs> That's pretty much your standard world record story. Yeah. You know, I just pulled the trigger and this thing leapt out of the water. That was it. Well, the best part was it actually tangled up in a big pile of weeds, and the it would have been a ball of weeds, literally a metre and a half in diameter. Holy I mom. grabbed the whole lot and just swam into shore. And there's a little boat ramp there where duck shooters launched their boats and just dragged the whole lot up. And then this thing just started flapping about in the oxygen weed. And I thought, holy shit. And <laughs> <laughs> no dolphins live out this river. <laughs> it's one of those albino Amazon ones from New Zealand. <laughs> the pink river dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> so you tried to cover it up with the weeds. No, 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 it's, it's, it's totally legit to kill them. <laughs> They're a pest in New Zealand and they need to be stopped. Yeah. By the rhinos. <laughs> yeah. All mammal were introduced here. Mm. Well, if you look over there, it's actually a, um, a dead rabbit on the grass. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fell, New, get the torch the New Zealand sparrows have got a good rat in terms of um, like getting rid of invasives, like out of freshwater waterways. Like you got the... The catfish cull, um, in my part of Australia where I live, they they banned it. All freshwater spearfishing. I I think it's like a service sparrows can provide. What do you what are your thoughts? Absolutely. That that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what well, well, you said. Yeah. Well, I think it had to like you elaborate it though. Well, New Zealand's got bugger all freshwater fish that. Are, yeah, yeah. So so we've got trout. No, they're, they're, they're they they they're introduced. We've got these yeah, things sorry. called enungers um, and, and giant kokapoos, which are basically these these native fish there's i think seven eels? yeah we got we got eels. are they all native yeah yeah um so we've got those we used to have a um grayling which yep. is an extinct type of fish no, they only went extinct i think about the time the europeans turned up here okay. which is just a weird coincidence <laughs> 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 a little bit like the hast um, eagle and friggin yeah i mean so if you can get in there and shoot them then why not you know the mower yeah Choice. You know, they don't, they don't do any um any good to the place, so you might as well shoot them. I and mean, I don't know why we can't spare trout. Yeah. Or salmon. I did a drift dive down um above the Hooker Falls. Mm. Have you have you been up in that river system? No. No. Yeah. Like um it's above where they do the, the bungee jump. And so you sort of get out above the Hooker Falls, so it's a little bit dodgy because you're like <laughs> I don't want to get out in the Don't want to get cramped and miss yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the amount of trout along the outskirts, and sometimes you're rushing through, you're like in five knots of current, and then there's just trout all the way around you. And um, so, yeah, what, why not? Yeah. Mm. Or dead fish is a dead fish, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And David, you've um, you've recently moved to New Zealand, you and Captain Smolders. Correct. How are you finding the experience? Is it, um, is it um, what's, how does the spearing stack up next to some of the stuff you've done overseas? I'd say... The, the country's amazing. It's a pity about the people. 
And no rhinos. <laughs> no rhinos. <laughs> We've only been here for six months, which is coincidentally the, the summer months. So we arrived as summer started knocking. Um, Weather-wise, I think it's very seasonal here as far as diving goes. Sounds like not much happens in winter. Neither of us has done a winter as yet. But um, from what we've experienced here, I would say that the fish biomass is ex extremely well protected. The amount of fish you see here is extraordinary. Um, just the amount of different life in the water from mostly small bait fish. Um, the variety of species lacking somewhat compared to a lot of oh, yeah. other places that I've spent time in. Um, you can go out and you can shoot your five or six fish in a day, but you'd shoot mostly the same species. Whereas yeah. in Africa, we're really spoiled. Um, but yeah, that, that's an exceptional situation we have. Where I'm from is that we have the mix of the, the colder water fish coming up in winter and the warm water fish coming in summer. So you have this diversity and, and range of species that New Zealand lacks being so isolated. Um, but and especially that, where you're guiding as well, like through those tropical waters, that's... Yeah, the tropics, you just never know what you're going to see. You could go out and you could see one of, say, a hundred species in a day if you're lucky. Obviously, you're going to find some more than others, but yeah, New Zealand, you're never really getting surprised as far as species go. You could see big fish, you could see beautiful fish, but you're not really going to see something that you wouldn't expect to see. Sharks. Yeah, the, sh the sharks, yeah, you got your a couple critters that you see more often than not, the bronzies and that, but yeah, there's not a huge diversity of sharks either. So was that the motivation for moving to New Zealand? The motivation for moving to New Zealand was not wanting to live out of a backpack <laughs> <laughs> after a good 10 years on the road and yeah, spending time in a lot of really rural, far-flung edges of the earth, which was good while it lasted, but yeah, you get to a point in your life where you kind of need something a little bit more solid. Some st um, stability. That makes sense. Yeah, and... New Zealand's got a good balance of lifestyle to economic and stability. And it's pretty close to uh, flying to Indonesia too. Like you can always go back for holidays It's if you're missing it that much. Yeah, All fully. the Pacific Islands, they're just on your doorstep. That's an untapped market that I'd love to get into and start doing more trips and exploring the Pacific Islands. There's a huge amount to be seen there, I reckon. Um, so yeah, it's just really central to a lot of things that I have no experience in. So it's almost like starting afresh. Um, but yeah, a lot of challenges in the future and yeah, looking forward to what it might bring. I was going to say a lot of crossovers, like, you know, you, you've spent a lot of time in the water with Barrett and David Ochoa, both guests on the podcast. And it's funny how you were introduced to New Zealand. How did you, what, what happened there? Yeah, that was a bit of a weird coincidence. I was living in Indonesia at the time. Um, I'd been in contact with David since he took over from me in Madagascar. Uh, David was living in New Zealand for about eight months at the time and he was looking to, to do some filming for a Spanish TV show. He asked me to come out and give him a hand, so I didn't have a huge amount going on at the time. Flew out and I had this preconceived idea about New Zealand that it was pretty similar to Britain with slightly more coastline. But yeah, when I arrived here, I just met such good people and everyone was super welcoming and, and real helpful just going out of their way for us, which not many places in the world I'd felt so welcome as a foreigner. Not a um, Aussies here, that's why. <laughs> yeah, probably the opposite of that. <laughs> so yeah, it was good to, to just be networked with such great people and to be shown a side of the diving here that I never knew even existed. 
I think the Kiwis, to a big point, either are technologically challenged or just don't want to tell the rest of the world <laughs> how good the diving is. Technologically challenged. Maybe a combination of both. Uh, but yeah, I'd not seen much from New Zealand itself until I arrived here and just saw the craziest amount of fish. And we were lucky enough to get out to White Island, David and myself, on my first trip here. Uh, we saw some crazy amounts of kingies and real good blue water diving, um, not far from, say, civilization. Mm. So it made me realize how much more there was to explore. So decided to come back and yeah, did a few courses and traveled around the country, but not with any plans for the future. But yeah, after the couple months here, Captain Smolder's joining me for a portion of that. We're living out of a van, cruising around, living off the Kamoana that New Zealand so generously <coughs> provided kinna. for us. Yeah, a lot of kinna. <laughs> That's what sold me, kinna. And it's a pest, so we must take all of it. <laughs> tell, tell people what kinna is. So kinna is sea urchin, uh, where I'm from in Hong Kong. It's a delicacy and it's extremely expensive. I'm talking about one tiny one centimeter piece of kinna is like almost $40 in a restaurant. Mm. And it's like the food of the emperor. And then you come to New Zealand and it's a pest and they're like <laughs> 10 times the size and you must take all of them. And I was like, sold. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to eat in the whole world. Most people hate it. I don't understand why. It's so nice. It's a bit of, of an acquired taste or texture. The taste for me doesn't put me off. It's the slimy slipperiness going down the back of your throat that... <laughs> oh, love <laughs> it's it. It's something that I'm not accustomed to. So <laughs> I'll take more of that, thanks. <laughs> Tea on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> you found a good bit of can I, bro. <laughs> so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people, and especially white people in the country are pretty taken aback when E.T. shows such a huge passion for kinna, so which is <laughs> normally referred to as, as poor people food, yeah, which is quite bizarre compared to where you come from. Couldn't be any any more different. It's amazing, the cultural difference. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, when I first came here, I was like looking, I was like Googling restaurants, seafood restaurants, like amped to see what kind of kinna dishes are like innovative because I love food and cooking mm. and stuff. And I couldn't find kinna on any restaurant menu. And in Hong Kong, it's everywhere. Like anything you can imagine being cooked with kinna is being cooked with kinna. And it's like the most expensive and like innovative thing on a restaurant's menu. I was like, what? Blair, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you... Tell, what's the, your page about seafood? It's not my page. Uh, it's Tim Kaverman's page. To talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can elaborate. I can elaborate on that. Well, <laughs> okay, so E.T.'s got this recipe that she makes with kinna, which is the best way that I've eaten kinna, which is... Um, <laughs> it's taken, taken out, of its, um, out of its shell. And then blend it up, mixed with champagne, and then holy shit! With the is there cream included? It's basically foamy champagne kinna pasta sauce. Mm. <laughs> and it's good. Damn. Then you don't get that big slippery slug sliding down the back of your throat. Oh, it's I'll more put of them like on a top. creamy sauce. Garnish. Bit of scallion, <laughs> bit of spring onion on the top. That's a real good finish. Tim and Blair have a page. 
not me. It's just <laughs> <laughs> it's a real awkward here. But uh, but Blair Blair's really good friend Tim um, has an awesome Facebook group. Um, is it eat, eat what you catch? Eat what you kill. Eat what you kill. Yeah. And they share sort of um, innovative and creative recipes and just your homegrown sort of seafood meals, which I think sort of um, been missing for a long time. If you can hear David just urinating off the balcony, just ignore that. Um, I'll just see if I can get a mic in there. Um, but yeah, eat what you kill on Facebook, um, founded by, by Blair and Tim. <laughs> and, uh, it sounds like ET, you need to share your recipe on there. Um, what do you say to that, Blair, since it's your page? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tim's going to have you at the lawyer on so Monday. So I've got this really good recipe I'm going to share on my page. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, kinner with uh, champagne. <laughs> and spaghetti. I'm going to share it on my page. Eat what you kill. <laughs> with some truffle oil on top. Oh, that's tough. Is that right? You added to it. I yeah. like it. It's, awesome. not, it's not called plagiarism if you add one ingredient. <laughs> I'd expect nothing less from the creator of a page like Eat What You Kill. Thanks, man. <laughs> Sorry, man, I thought that was yours. But um, <laughs> Sparrow Tech is yours, and uh, this is going to segue into a broader discussion, I think, about spearfishing and social media. Um, but tell us a bit about Sparrow Tech, Blair. Yeah, Sparrow Tech's a little, um, oh, I don't know what you really call it, like a sort of a, a side project that, that three of us are doing at the moment. Um, it's really just a way of sharing content and, and sort of, I really don't know what you'd call it, to be honest. Um, it's, a, it's a platform for something later uh, on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. Well, I don't know what the fuck you'd call it to yeah, be honest. <laughs> it's a it's a place you guys can share fun stuff together about spirits. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's no like no bullshit involved, no politics, no anything or that sort of thing. It's just you know here's us as us diving, you know, because generally the three of us will be diving together. If if it's not the three of us, it'll be two of us and someone else or whatever. So it's just a way of showing what we're up to. Hmm. Politics and spearfishing. It's that doesn't happen, does it? Not at all. <laughs> what about what about social media and spearfishing? How do you think that's going? Is that a record? Are we are we are we using it successfully? Are we are we um, are we converting the world to a more uh, primitive but satisfying way of life? Oh, oh hang on, ET's got a strong <laughs> opinion. ET's got an opinion. Here we go. <laughs> Um, social media is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to spearfishing. <laughs> okay, maybe not the worst thing, but I feel like because of social media, people are spearfishing. Well, this is my own opinion, but are spearfishing for the wrong, wrong intentions. So they do it for ego and trophy hunting and just to get the big fish to post the photo, you know? Like, it just, for me... Pretty much, it, pretty much against every. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. This was named Sparrow content for two years. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, the worst I don't know. Thing to happen to Kingfish. No. Yeah. There, yeah it's true. <laughs> there's like, I mean, if you have the right intention internally to like you spearfish before social media or like you had the right intention getting into it, but I feel like because of social media, a lot of people are getting into it for the wrong reasons. Ah. Uh, yep. And, I mean, spearfishing is the most sustainable way of sourcing seafood, but it can be also super unsustainable if you abuse it. Like, it's only sustainable if you make it sustainable yourself. 
um, I want to give it back to ET because she's sort of she's painted a picture of a problem there. Um, how do you think we can change that, or how can how can we use it as a force for good? Do you think it's like <clears throat> um, swimming next to whale sharks and putting little quotes in there about stats? I'm not saying you do that, by the way, but I'm just saying. I do do that. Business <laughs> 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 model. Break them in. To be honest, I don't really know. I haven't really thought about what the solution is that much. I just know that, well, sp- Spearfishing was invented as a way of like subsistence fishing to feed yourself and had really good intentions and the way to like take care of yourself the best way, giving yourself incredible food, but while also giving back to the environment and making sure it's not exploited. I mean, like any spear fisherman, you want the ocean to be thriving so you can get the best fish. Like if you destroy the ocean, you're not going to get your fish. So... I just want to ask you another question, right? So, in Africa, they have a... Trophy hunting's a huge thing, right? And every year, they sell tags for a limited number of animals. And the money that goes back into, um, you know, the community for wildlife management and understanding the habitat and things like that, that money wouldn't come otherwise. Um, So, do you think all trophy hunting is bad I know it's a big question I'm putting on the spot here, but like, what what's your kind of thoughts about that sort of thing? Um, so I'm not an expert in like hunting conservation and whatsoever, but I do know from personal experience and working in Indonesia with a lot of marine reserves and stuff that a lot of the times, especially in third world countries where corruption is a big thing, especially like countries like South Africa and other places in Botswana and Zimbabwe, the money doesn't actually go back to the community a lot of times. So that's what it's advertised as, and that's what it makes people feel better for doing. But it doesn't actually triple down, tr- trickle down to benefit the community that's actually losing for something. Mm. So in Indonesia, we have a problem. You have um, marine reserves, and they're great. They're amazing. And But it's like $100 for a person to go there. And the thing is, you have foreign boats charters going in there foreign companies investing operating tours and they pay this marine park fee per person but the money doesn't actually go back to the community in the marine park nor does it go back to the marine park it just goes to someone profiting from the money (laughs) so i don't i'm not a specialist in what goes on with africa and the hunting or i don't know much about land hunting but from my personal experience in third world countries that's quite often what happens no, I think that's that's a really good point. So if the governance that's sort of selling these tags and you know under the ethos of being a sustainable entity, if the if the actual money's not going back to where it needs to be going, it's not really doing any good for anyone. You make a really good point. When I finally get to go out spearfishing, I want to keep things simple. I want to get in the water, use basic gear that's not going to break down on me. I want to have a good time and shoot some fish. And today's sponsor. Killshot spear guns make a spear gun that's absolutely perfect for that. Ed Martin, designer, builder, manufacturer of more than 1,000 spear guns, likes to keep these guns simple, effective, and dependable. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB for a limited time only. Save some dough, some moolah, some dosh, some cheddar. I can't even do the cheddar thing. Save some money. That's all I can say. Killshotspearguns.com.
equalizing, breath hold, relaxing, taking on depth. There's a ton of struggles every Sparrow encounters. Every single person that does spearfishing has an obstacle. They have something that they're working on. They're always trying to get better. For me, uh, at the moment, it's marksmanship. It's improving my aim. I don't, I don't like wounding fish. But if you are looking at the freediving side of things, you have either equalizing issues, you want to extend your breath hold, you have trouble relaxing, you don't know how to take on depth. These are very common. And Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving has put together a whole bunch of offerings for you. Check it out, newspero.com forward slash Ted. There's a whole bunch of these uh, online courses that can be studied at your own pace from your phone if you like, and uh, you can overcome your struggles. Just check it out, newspero.com forward slash Ted. I would say, from my experience, that social media does definitely put a, a price on the fish's head that is not just what you would intrinsically want to hunt a fish for. You're gaining more out of it, and I've benefited from this myself, from publicity, from the fact that fish look good dead, whereas you don't see as much publicity from, say, land hunting, because a dead mammal we can relate to, and it doesn't look as good as a fish that still looks pretty much the same as when you shot him, being held up. Mm. So it's a very aesthetical thing to hold up a, a big dead fish, but when you're doing it solely for that purpose, and there, there's a lot of cases where people are, are going out specifically hunting certain species in order to impress their friend group, or to fit in, or to look cool on Instagram, then it, it takes away definitely from the intrinsic values of, of the skills that we have, and that we are, lucky enough to be able to access like the technology and the equipment and the cutting edge 21st century technology that helps us be able to be such good hunters we are very easily able to abuse it because spearfishing in essence is not that challenging and it doesn't take a huge amount of time to go from someone who's never been in the water with a mask and snorkel on to being someone who's able to hunt a substantial amount of the ocean's creatures to a point where if he wasn't moderating himself, he'd be able to do serious, serious damage to the environment that he's in. So yeah, I think it definitely needs to be monitored or reined in to a point. Um, like you're talking about with tags, etc., for for wild animals, it could be a cool thing to maybe implement for the hunting of say bullfish or for species that are, are not as prolific as they used to be. Under pressure. Yeah, and hopefully, in countries that are better mo moderated, such as New Zealand, that money would then go back into conservation or where it's meant to be. So one of the new initiatives in Melbourne is uh, tagging crayfish, lobsters, and three years ago, fisheries bought it in, and one of the big complaints was that the recreational fishing community was heavily impacting the crayfish stocks, and it's a priority species for Melbourne and Victoria and fisheries just didn't know, they didn't have a grasp on how many crays were taken or what the impact is. They knew what the commercial take was because they've got quotas and they've got monitoring systems and uh, reporting criteria, pretty strict criteria to report to. But on the recreational side, they didn't know anything. So brought in this tagging system and it was such a win for recreational fishers that it showed that we as a community are taking on average just over one crayfish per person per year. It's 1.3 was the, the outcome of that. And it meant that commercial fishing got 
a cut to their quota and we it could prove that us as RECs were pretty sustainable in that yeah. respect. So a great initiative there. How does it work? Yeah. How uh, does it work? So what's the system? So tags are free. You apply to fisheries. You have to have a licence. You apply to fisheries to receive up to 20 tags and you can have as many tags as you want in a year. If you use them all, that's fine as long as you're within your bag limit of two per person per day. Uh, there's no yearly limit or anything like that, but you ordering tags and there's requirements for tagging the craze as well as tail clipping which has always been the case uh tail clipping the lobsters but we tag them just after we catch them from the water and uh that then we report them on an app which is all paid for from fishing licenses so a good a good initiative there Melbourne seems to be doing a few things right. Like the southern bluefin tuna population is rebounding, and it sounds like the crayfish numbers are doing well as well. What, what, what do you, is there a root cause for this? Like, what, what, why is the fishery doing well in that part of Australia? The, the management in particular. So we have a pretty strong uh, community, fishing community in Australia. I believe it's the number one sport in Australia to begin with, but specifically in Victoria, there's a huge push in the political sphere to promote fishing recreationally made that decision a few years ago and it's kind of coming through now and they're putting a lot of money into it and they've made a lot of initiatives including the the tagging programs they probably don't have as good a grasp on species and bag limits and sizes outside of the main sort of target species but it's still a focus and there's a lot of money going around for it. it's great one thing i've noticed like in australia and in, in queensland and down into new south wales they were going to shut down a lot of the recreational that's just blair urinating by the way thanks blair noise on that three hours later <laughs> <laughs> he's got a decent bladder on him doesn't he that man um one thing i notice is that there's this knee-jerk reaction it's like let's shut down these huge areas of the coastline to recreational fishing but i think it does more harm than good because it, it puts people more out of touch with their natural environment and then people are less educated about what's actually in the ocean. And then all of a sudden we're importing fish from other countries that aren't regulated. Do you think about that? Um, just the fact that for most countries in the world who have a seafood industry, the majority of the seafood that's native to their country is exported and the majority of the seafood consumed in that country is imported. It's just crazy. <laughs> like, And it what? happens all over the world. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, ridiculous. How has this even become a thing? Fishing, uh, specifically f spearfishing, I mean, I've been fishing or spearfishing now for about six years, probably, has definitely brought me closer to my food source. Mm. And because of spearfishing, I'm way more aware and conscious about the food I eat and just about where it comes from. And it's just brought this whole new mind mindset and perspective about food and understanding and valuing it then i could like i can't even begin to explain how anything else would ever bring me to that point it's amazing so with some of these areas like in in modern western countries they're talking about shutting down recreational fishing so that there's really nowhere to go so you're trying to take your children fishing 
so that they can learn about what you've what you've learned and develop a sense of appreciation for it. Well, as a conservationist, what do you say to those efforts? Um, I think there's a big imbalance between recreational and commercial fisheries. So commercial fisheries obviously have a play a huge role in depleting marine sources and it's basically 1% benefiting from the rape of majority of the environment compared to recreational fisheries where you it's like equal benefit from the resource mm. um, not saying that recreational fisheries don't put pressure on a marine environment but I think that if commercial fisheries were more regulated and better controlled then recreational fisheries would have more freedom and like be able to benefit from the ocean that's basically their birthright you know like how can you sell something to a company how can you sell the ocean to a company like how can you sell a fish yeah. population to the company and not be able to benefit from it like that's insane yeah, there's, there's a term for it in economics it's like where companies are able to access free resources and that's basically how, what their business model is built on so i'm familiar with kind of what you're saying we see this with um with extracting raw materials and even the use of water and things like that so i, I get what you're saying but Surely you, commercial fishing can also be done in a sustainable way? Or? Oh, of course. I'm, I'm not against fisheries at all. Mm. I, I mean, fisheries are very important for the entire world. I mean, so many people get their main source of protein out of fish, and economies around the world are completely dependent on fisheries. I'm not, I'm not one of those yeah, diehard conservationists, like, don't eat fish, don't support commercial fisheries. I'm just against, like, full-on rape rape and plumaging and exploitation yeah. of the ocean yeah. which honestly is majority what's going on right now <laughs> and it's people like us who love the ocean for what it is and directly benefit from the benefit from the ocean that lose like who suffer from those consequences most mm -hmm. Nah, it's good to see and hear the passion too. I think um, I think it's something all of us think about. I remember seeing a, um, a huge trawler in UK waters about oh, six months ago, and the spearfishing community were up in arms because it's a it's a super trawler, and there's these huge riding and bold, and you know, and it, it hauls in so many thousand tons a day. But sometimes I think we react emotionally too because perhaps that super trawler. Um, is now taking the place of 30 smaller vessels that possibly had a greater carbon footprint and, you know, were, were damaging the oceans in different ways and provided they're taking the set quota that should have been determined based on science, um, you'd imagine that it would have possibly less impact on the environment. Do, do you have a comment on that? Um, <laughs> maybe questions. not specifically that, <laughs> but... What I do know, <laughs> what I do know, and what most of my interest now is focused on, is basically like fisheries on the high seas. So even though you have regulations and laws put in place about quotas and how much a boat can take and where it can they can fish and blah blah blah, none of that actually happens in the high seas. The high seas is like outer space. Like you do whatever you want. Talking. Exactly. Yeah. So exploitation to the max. Like mm. you go crazy you know mm. so even though there are laws put in place maybe to benefit um fisheries or in the environment i mean exploitation in the ocean they go hand in hand like mm. isn't that a shame you know what i mean like i hear what you're saying and i've seen a lot of it as well another thing i found out maybe only two years ago i think from um 
Beyond the Blue podcast. Um, a lot of the international fishing vessels that are coming out are manned by slave labour. Oh, you're opening up a can of worms. Don't hang yeah. your mouth, <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. Like, I think a lot of people aren't even aware of it. And um, these are the people that are coming in overnight to some of the countries and they're impinging beyond that um, that line that's supposedly international waters and they are taking quota out of local waters. Um, have you done some research in that area as well? That is a can of worms that you just opened. <laughs> it's crazy. It's literally unimaginable what happens on the high seas so you have fishing boats and especially long lines long liners uh the number one long lining fleets are from china and taiwan and they operate in the high seas but they move move and shake around the world like avoid every single country and law and just like one family or one small corporate corporation getting rich and then they take slaves from thailand vietnam cambodia burma Philippines Myanmar. and we'll yeah Myanmar <laughs> and they so uh, what people would consider like economically underprivileged countries they would have agents who go to these countries and be like oh I'm offering you a job at a farm for five dollars a day which is awesome for them mm -hmm. um, in order to get this job you have to pay two thousand dollars so they give their life savings they get this job on a farm they buy a ticket they're sent to somewhere in southeast asia and then they're a lot of times drugged and they wake up on a on fishing a boat. boat and they're there for mm. 15 years 20 years yeah i heard about this it's crazy and it still happens today all mm. the time have, have you come across any um uh, this is another huge question but what are the potential solutions or or some of the ideas that have been thrown around to solve some of these big problems uh, so Thailand has actually been one of the biggest culprits in this uh, fishing slave industry. They've been pretty good since it became world news a few years ago. They've been pretty good in making efforts to abolish it. Not perfect, but making the effort. Um, I don't know. I mean, as soon as there there's a demand for something, there's always going to be a way to produce that product basically mm. so if you go to a supermarket and you're buying ridiculously cheap canned fish like it's ridiculously cheap for a reason like mm. it's because the people working on those boats aren't being paid what they should be paid yeah. and as a consumer you don't actually realize how much influence you have on an industry mm. every dollar you spend in a store is a vote to keep that practice in place mm. so as consumers we probably, I mean, if there's no demand for a product, the product's not going to exist, basically. So, mm. yeah, it's hard to influence consumer trends, too, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I have a suggestion on that topic, yeah. whether or not it's it's viable. But if there was more communication, or different countries were able to communicate better, because the laws on the on the high seas or in international waters, it's a very grey area, and it's very difficult for one country to express its law in another country's, and there's. Mm. A lot of bureaucracy and red tape that, that, that holds everyone back. So even countries that are wanting to police their own vessels in other waters have their hands tied. So if there was like a, say, international governing body that was able to yeah. police this or at least be the middleman or the moderator mm. between different countries. There is, they don't do their job. Yeah, but something that was more efficient than whatever is in place now because you hear of boats going and changing their flag or getting in trouble under a certain yeah. boat name, repainting the boat carrying on doing exactly what they were doing mm. with a clean slate. 
And essentially because there's no police, uh, that market is existing in one form or another just due to lack of being able to enforce any sort of jurisdiction. I don't want to throw out the UN because... <laughs> Like, it's another big shit fight. You know, having some form of international government of our waters is alarming on a lot of fronts, I think. Um, however, some sort of force that enforces some sort of standards on uh, on what these operators are able to get away with would surely provide some form of um, improvement. But yeah, what a, what a big shit fight you started there, E.T. Yeah, <laughs> so I think that was you. Should we go like hard it again? Because it went all quiet and <laughs> yeah. shit. I was like, oh. Awkward. She got all jumpy and shit. <laughs> nah, it's a good conversation. Isn't it? That's my like, life mission to end this shit. <laughs> I, I, just quickly, one more shit fight. Um, I've done a couple already. Um, sharks. <laughs> right. Um, in Australia, like I think on the east coast, like there's a thousand kilos of commercial, commercially harvested sharks now, and a thousand kilos. A thousand kilos. That's, That's it. one ton. It's that's all there is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying that it's not happening by illegal fishermen and stuff like that. But what I mean is, is like, it's like we've gone from, you know, hearing about shark finning to all of a sudden now, because people have, you know, oh, sharks are, um, it's it's unsustainable to hunt them. They're apex predators and blah blah blah. Let's not hunt them at all because it's all evil and sharks are people too. You know, it's like from one extreme to the other, and it's like. Perhaps there are some species of sharks at certain times that are sustainable to hunt and eat. Yeah. Where do we draw this distinction? Because it's like, as soon as I suggest, oh, let's eat that shark, it's like, you know, like I'm... Imagine, can you imagine if I did that on Instagram? Like if I went out and I shot any shark and I put it on Instagram, what would happen to me? I would give you so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not all sharks are the same, you know, like people... People sort of blanket sharks as sharks. It's the same as blanketing fish as fish. You know, there's some super abundant fish, there's some super abundant sharks. In New Zealand, we've got pretty abundant sharks called rig and school sharks. I think you guys have them over in Aussie, you call them gummy sharks. You know, there's really viable and um, sustainable fisheries for these sharks, and it's fine. But if you go out and you start smashing things like... Mako. Yeah, yeah. And... I don't know, like great whites, great whites, and and that sort of stuff. It's it's a bit different. So, sharks is just such a blanket term that shouldn't really be used the way it is. Mm. Um, you know, there, there are sharks that should not be killed at all. Yeah, and there are sharks that are absolutely fine. It's no different to going and getting a, a snapper. Yeah, and so people just need to be a bit more realistic. I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm a diehard shark conservationist at heart, but I'm not against. Shark. I mean, if you're, I'm not against sustainable fisheries. Like I completely support that. I think the issue with sharks is that um, it's the t so what's decimating shark populations worldwide is the type of fishing that's fishing them. So it's long lining. It's long lining on the high seas. It's long lining in the countries and everything. Um, so and that's extremely untargeted and extremely wasteful. So the thing is, if you open legal shark fisheries, I mean, most of them are legal, hence that's why they're being completely decimated. But finning is illegal. But opening more legal outlets for shark fishing just ultimately opens more availability for black market trade in sharks. And it's the desire to catch sharks is for the value of the fins. 
And basically, once you cut the fin off, most people can't identify a species. So in Indonesia, we have a problem. We have uh, like three or four very protected shark species that are allowed to be fished domestically, but not exported. But the thing is, once a bag of fin is in the port of Surabaya being sent to Hong Kong, no one knows the difference between a protected species and a non-protected species. So these blanket regulations towards protecting sharks don't really apply because you can't differentiate between species and there's like you said there's a big difference between species like there's some sharks that are sustainable and there's some sharks that you just should not fish <laughs> mm. i hear the local bronzy population could do with a bit of a cull <laughs> <laughs> say that again I, I hear the local bronzy population could do with a bit of a cull <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone's going to argue you on that front <laughs> yeah I've well i've seen a bronzy here <laughs> it's because you like yeah. it <laughs> you just need to shoot a kingfish and uh, hang it around Bronzies used to be incredibly unusual to see, and now this does only say ten years ago, and now it's incredibly unusual to not see them. And some of them are getting trained up, you know. It's Pavlovian. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, mate, it's Pavlov's dog. You know, you ring that bell, which is the spear gun going off. Even if you don't shoot a fish, that shark will be on you. It's wanting a fish. And so, what can spearos do to sort of mitigate that learning pattern? Not fire their spear gun. I don't know, mate. <laughs> don't, don't, don't hand your fish over. Get the Indonesians in. I have no idea. <laughs> don't soon as, be soon as we st started talking about Pavlovas, he wanted to claim them for Australia there. <laughs> yeah. But we get Russell Crowe. Eh? Yeah, yeah. You can have him. <laughs> you can have Farlap. You can have whatever you want. We want Russell Crowe. Do Do you think that it's Spiros? They're scared of the shark, so they let the fish go on the end of the gun. And it's because they don't want that direct confrontation with the shark up close and personal? Oh, I'd say there's an element of that. There's, there's a lot at play. You know, people shoot a fish and a shark comes in and has a go. And instead of charging at the shark, a lot of guys will slowly pull it in and, you know, they get their head back. But then they stupidly think, well, I've dropped my nuts. I'm going to show my mates how much of a man I am. I'm going to shoot another one. And then the shark goes, oh, good. He's feeding me again. You know, so it, it's the cycle that continues. And there's also the guys that go and jig for kingfish. Um, oh, yeah, and then you've got this kingy going wild on a, on a line that's being reeled fast to the surface, and, the, and then they, they're learning that behaviour through that. Mate, the number of, of photos you see of just a head of a kingfish hanging off a jig, mm. people going, oh, I got sharked. It does make for a mad photo on Instagram, though, doesn't it? Especially the first hundred times you see it. <laughs> first hundred yeah. times you see it, yeah. 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 Hashtag African poacher. <laughs> yeah, those kingies have taken a hammering since Instagram's come about. <laughs> yeah, no, they have. Um, one reason, like, I really, I really like Nat, right? And I'm not just shining him on here, but, I mean, we're headed out spearfishing with him and Rochelle for a couple of days. But he's got a rule on his boat, like, one kingie per diver per day. That's max. And I really like that. It, it forces you to be very selective. And you might be surrounded by 150 fish. You know, the temptation to get a bloodlust mode is, is obviously there. However, you know, just enjoying the moment and selecting the one fish for the day, that to me sounds really cool. And I'm hoping that I do get to actually select one <laughs> and not just talk about it. <laughs> that That's a good rule if you're going for one day. Mm. It's actually excessive if you're going for consecutive days you know mm. if you're going for say three or four days no one needs three or four kingfish you know it, it's our our laws here are just so generous to the point they're just obscene you know you're allowed three kingfish per day legally here and 
the the limits on other fish vary, but you're allowed twenty fin fish and then other fish on top of that. Yeah. Um, in South Africa, they had better management than that. Like, <laughs> and that's saying something because they like one, recently, one day. recently in South Africa, they just said the the fisheries department costs too much money. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> and there's no fisheries department there now. So there's rules, but no one to enforce them. Do you have a comment on that, African poacher? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real difficult one. We, the the fisheries have been in place and very well moderated as well as you can moderate a coastline as big as ours in South Africa since the beginning of, of conservation, really. And, yeah, recently, for whatever reason, the, the jury's still out on exactly why it was disbanded, but the parks board was just let to to slip away, and it was originally going to be policed by, a, um, it was called DAF, which was a, a government-mandated force from the Cape region, which had very little experience on majority of the coastline, which is... Eastern Cape, 3,000 kilometers long just on the east coast. Yeah. Um, so it's a huge amount of area to police with an amazing amount of marine life, real inaccessible coastline too, and um, yeah, it was just left to rack and ruin pretty much. It's crazy. Upgrading your fins is something that I think every single Sparrow goes through within their spearfishing journey. And today's sponsor, Penetrator Fins, have been around for a long time. You've got a lot of proprietary technology goes into their fins, and what that means is that Larry at Penetrator has produced a set of fins that are second to none. And Penetrator Fins back this up with a beyond industry standard warranty. They've got a three-year warranty against breakage on any composite blades and a one-year warranty on carbon fiber blades. There's a baby's bum finish. There's no friction here. These fins are immaculate for getting you to glide through the ward with maximum economy. If you pair a penetrator fin up with a good foot pocket too, you, you're going to have a much different experience spearfishing. You're going to be able to go further and longer, and you're also going to have a lot less fatigue at the end of the day. Check them out, penetratorfins.com. Use the code name Spiro. Is that more spearfishing shit? Yeah, it is, honey, but it's my favourite podcast. You just kind of stop yourself. You're obsessed. Well, that's true, but Shrek told me I'd, I'd lose my 90s dad look. Baby, it's all for you. For those that are a little obsessed, head over to noobspirit.com forward slash madgear. Got hats, beanies, tank tops, t-shirts and hoodies for noobers who are mad about spearing. Noobspirit.com forward slash madgear. Oh, I want to go back to Blair for a sec. Um, so we're talking about New Zealand's fisheries management. Um, from your perspective, how could it be done better? Is, well, that, a, is, that, a, is that a shitty question? No, that's, that's good, that's good. So I've, it's I've a shit fire though, I'm, I'm opening up it is, for criticism it is. here. But. It, it's so subjective, but I've got a wee bit of a background in commercial fisheries. That's, that's my initial, um, the industry that I was in. Um, my background is in aquaculture, so I've done marine biology, aquaculture, worked in uh, commercial fisheries and obviously I'm a recreational fisher as well. So um, the only way to make sure there's more fish in the sea is to take less out, you know. So our fisheries management on paper is great because it's got limits per species and each species kind of protects the other. So we've got a uh, snapper here which are a very, very abundant fish, but their quota is expensive. And so if you don't have quota for those, and you go out and you're trying to catch, say, something like a, a gurnard, and you catch snapper, you're screwed. 
you know, so you end up stop, you stop fishing, so you don't catch any more gurnard because every gurnard you catch means you're going to catch five snapper and it costs you money. So the super abundant fish actually protect the less abundant fish. But the limits are sort of, on, in, in theory, they're fluid, but they don't get changed very often because the uh, pressure from the big commercial fishing companies. Yeah, I think that uh, fisheries management could be more efficient as a whole across many, many countries, Australia and New Zealand included. But it is a limited number of resources being put into it and I think they do try and do the best they can with different pressures coming into it. From what I hear, like, there's, there's a lobby group from commercial fishermen and then there's a governmental response and then there's scientists and they all get together in a room and the scientists argue and the commercial people argue and they lobby and then they come up with some sort of rule that's this sort of in-between. It's a, it's a great big, um, what do you call it, where they, it's a compromise. And quite often the scientists are saying this is the maximum allowable amount that you should take to preserve adequate breeding stock for years to come. And then somehow that line gets moved a little bit and then that's what they determine as the quota. Is that sort of your experience with it? Yeah, I mean, like, money talks, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the logical thing is to make um, the stocks go back to what they call virgin biomass would just be to stop taking any fish out of it completely, just let everything just, just balance itself out over the next 200 years. Yeah. But that's not economic, you know. It doesn't make any sense. So you need to be taking fish out to make the economics work of it. But the fishing companies obviously want to take as much as they can out. They'll say they don't want to, um, they don't want to fish anything to extinction because then they won't make any money from it. But all they're really sort of aiming at is the next bloody dividend for the shareholders, you know. They're trying to keep the shareholders happy and nothing's going to go extinct in the next 20 years in terms of commercial fishing. So if they're aiming for the next 30 or 40 years to make something extinct, those people will be out of a job anyway, you know. They'll be retired. So what they're doing now doesn't impact what their job will be in the next 20, 30 years. I... I don't, I'm not an expert in New Zealand fisheries at all. I'm very interested in learning. I'm actually going back to school to study fisheries policy. But, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. And I know this is your sort of... I just, I, I, I've heard that, so New Zealand has this like incredible reputation about being very like conservation forward and everything, but it's mostly to species that don't have financial benefit for the economy like the kiwi bird like i mean it's a great bird but like it's useless exactly <laughs> let's be honest it doesn't I mean, do anything good and it's for not like good to eat it doesn't a, fly such it doesn't a, a nice conservation squat. forward <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> such a conservation forward and orientated country which is like what new zealand's reputation is for the rest of the world the fact that you guys have two of like two endemic dolphins who are on the top like five most endangered marine mammals list on the whole world is like crazy like how can you be such a conservation forward country and have two endemic dolphins almost to extinction and it's basically because of commercial fisheries like if you actually wanted to protect those dolphins you have the means and finance and all the tools to do so but so that that maui dolphin thing is quite a it's i guess a controversial topic yeah apparently what is killing those 
isn't so much the fishing, it's actually uh, toxoplasmosis, which is actually people's pet cats. And they're shit, they're shit washing out of rivers. People get this too. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I read different things. So I read oh, that. That's the argument that fishermen things. use to put it against them. Um, very, then again, I'm not an expert. So very I few are caught, to be honest. Like, it's, it's, if you had a population of, I think 15 years ago, it was 110 of anything, the likelihood of those breeding to succession is, is pretty low. Yeah. But, uh, regardless, putting the blame on the fishermen or the Pollution. cat pee or whatever you said. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Right? Yeah. It's like, that sounds like a South Park episode where Kenny get, used to get high on cat pee. Did anyone else see that one? <laughs> yeah. so it's like good. <laughs> that toxoplasmosis. That toxoplasmosis. They've linked it with like um, far higher tolerance to risk and stuff. And um, they've done some studies on people. And, like criminals in particular and they found that a lot of them have it and they've had it since adolescence and it's affected their development and shit so that's a far-reaching thing so just based on what Blair said I think we should just kill all domestic cats in New Zealand and problem solved we'll have the dolphin back I'm a big cat fan I hate cats I love cats we can drop some 1080 kill the cats and the possums at the same time oh there's another I'm starting a possum sanctuary, just saying. What the okay. fuck? <laughs> Would you like to comment on that one, Blair? Hypocrite of ever met. They're so cute. <laughs> they're horrible. That, in New Zealand, they're like on steroids. Australians come over here and look at them and they think they're a different animal because, like, over there, they're small and. Really? Like, and they're not common. They're not common. Like, over here, like, if they are not controlled, you can drive down a road, like, five kilometers long and you can see 50 friggin possums i've never seen a possum i'm yeah. literally because i've never seen a shark i've never seen a shark in new zealand because all i want to do is see a shark so they don't show up and i've never seen a possum because all i want to do is see a possum and i've never seen one mm. david will yeah well when you guys get <laughs> i've seen a few possums and a few sharks she just doesn't happen to be around at the time <laughs> next time we tea when you get out and you manage to load your spear gun and shoot <laughs> When health, when health free the soul. My motto in spearfishing is work smarter, not harder. Yeah, that's that's working, baby. <laughs> baby, you're about to see your first possum. Blair's just got the spotlight out. No, don't bring the rifle. <laughs> bring the rifle, Blair. Yeah. Shoot it. Let's shoot the possum and your cat. No, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not against like culling of pests in a country at all. I just, I do think they're cute. So there's obviously a yeah. unlogical emotional attachment. Yeah, I like Which I'm how, not like saying like it's logical, but it's um, cute. <laughs> I like how you've admitted to your cognitive bias there. So yeah. hashtag African poacher. <laughs> I think we have a lot of cognitive bias in spearfishing as well. hundred percent. With people wanting to protect the pretty fish, where it's the ugly ones that are generally older than the say bullfish, for example. And I mean I'm a victim of it myself. I'd definitely rather shoot a big grouper than I would shoot a big marlin. Oh, well, you wouldn't shoot a grouper. Really? They have worms. It's gross. Well, I don't know which grouper has worms. <laughs> they stink too. About. The guts on the big grouper always yeah, stink. So they the, eat everything. The they little have. ones. <laughs> yeah, well, now that I've been with an Asian, <laughs> things have changed slightly. What's the bullfish? Bill. Billfish. That's the accent. Sorry, the bull. The bullfish. The bullfish. Um. It's like, it's like a bull shark with a horn. <laughs> yeah. So, how do you eat bullfish? 
personally like them steamed. Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> Put them in the smokehouse. Steamed hole. You smoke, you smoke fish? Yeah, man. Fish? Tell we the got. story about the bloody marlin on the beach. Oh, shit. <laughs> so. I might need to tell this offline, though. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's quite a, a long story. This, he sees, this podcast is explicit and. It's okay. a good story. Go as long as you're going to be moderated by someone it's other than only yourself. <laughs> no, it's not going to be moderated <laughs> at all. Mother beer. <laughs> um, so when I was working in Zanzibar, we were running blue water trips. Yeah. And I was the resident spearfishing guide. I had a buddy who was the freediving instructor. He hadn't had a huge amount of experience spearfishing, but he would fill in when I was out at sea or on a charter. So I did a... Um, I did a Latham charter for a week or so and come back in the midst of huge chaos on land and him being basically marked as Zanzibar's most wanted. So turns out, as the story goes, he, he had gone out with a South African client and the dude had shot a massive marlin, bigger than anyone had seen before. Black marlin, longer than the boat, they managed to load up over the gunwale and drive it back to shore. No one could weigh the thing no one knew how big it was just because it was such a extraordinarily large fish so he ended up chopping it in half through the belly and then hanging it on the gantry and the two halves combined was over 300 kilos oh, so wow. in essence making it a world record at the time um, but now not counted and that was a massive pile of steaming gut that was in the sand next to where the gantry was on the oh, beach. Oh no! So I loaded the, the marlin into the back of the truck, went and sold it at the market and the policy in Zanzibar was all the money generated from fishing was given back to the local community. So this pile of steaming guts was just left weighing <laughs> in maybe 10 to 15 kilos. And uh, the Zanzibaris have this terrible habit of eating every part of the fish. So if you bring a fish back, I mean, nothing would be left for the dogs. It'd be literally a small, a handful of a pile of stuff from a, say, 30 kilo wahoo. Yeah. So a big marlin like that, it's going to attract a bit of a crowd. Yeah. And a few guys came past, they picked up a few bits that they thought that would be good for dinner. And off they went to a local restaurant, got the, the chef to cook it up for them and all got hospitalized. Oh no. So five dudes in hospital, one ends up dying from eating this obviously huge toxin buildup of of chemicals that was in the marlin, whether it be mercury or whatever it was. So they uh, don't know what it was? They don't know what it was. Um, yeah, the autopsies in Zanzibar, it's not known for its medical services, put it that way. Oh. So there's now, there's now a dead dude from eating the guts of this marlin. And in Zanzibar, everything's linked and everyone knows everyone. So now oh. the family approaches the company, one in compensation for the fact that the company's liable for their, their son, father, brother's death. And um, this all gets linked to now the guide, who was the freediving instructor, who was the one who ran the charter, has been linked as the suspect number one in this murder trial. And they, they want him, they want blood, so they follow him around and there was a newspaper headline and they were trying to make it more public as to what had gone down. He ended up not ever having to pay, but got hounded and hassled for long enough that, yeah, it was pretty worrying. Wow. And you want that story on or not on the podcast? I don't know. I might have to listen to it tomorrow. And <laughs> <laughs> you won't get to listen to it, bro. I make, I make judgment How calls. How did it come out? Just quietly. All of it makes it in. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. to an editor and uh, he doesn't do anything assuming that Shrek's already edited. <laughs> He's 100% right. 
Yeah, Thanks, no, you guys, you guys go wild. I think I didn't say anything incriminating in there. No names were mentioned. No, no, no. That's oh, that's good. I'm glad I got an abbreviated thing without names redacted. So <laughs> yeah. you should be a lawyer. That's very well done. Um, very diplomatic. And, so I guess that's when um, spearfishing goes wrong in terms of like in remote locations too, because you're in a small place and and your the reputation for everything you do is under scrutiny. And I mean that's a shit unlucky circumstance but wow and you think it was mercury is that your gut feeling i don't know oh gut, that was a bit uh, awkward wasn't boom, it? <laughs> <laughs> my gut feeling on that on that statement it. is um i would say probably mercury unless I'm, I'm no i'm no scientist but i know that there's huge mercury buildup in the bigger pelagic fishes so that's just something that i would assume without any scientific backing you're a spiro so you're a bro scientist all of us are Could yeah, yeah anything to do with the fact that it's been on the beach for three days well you know that is a remarkably good question do you know the only reason that there's no coronavirus in africa is because they're well known for their seagull-like constitution and <laughs> i would say the three days in the sun didn't affect them at all <laughs> it's called matured yeah Aged it's, fish. it's the new thing fish. never new eat your fish on the same day i've been reading a book lately um it's a little bit pretentious i'll be honest however um the sort of the first part of the book is really intriguing um, it's written by this guy in Sydney. His name's Josh Nyland. Is it the One Fish Cookbook by any chance? Oh, yes. Whole fish. Yeah, we yeah. have this framed on our wall, funny enough. <laughs> it's a super cool book. The concepts are awesome, but the recipes are like pff, like a little too complicated for most of us, right? In terms of, like, there's equipment and stuff in there that most of us don't have access to. However, like, his idea around the concepts of seafood really intrigued me. Like, like when we look at meat, we think about, pork lamb beef and we have all these different cuts and we treat every cut differently we cook it differently we approach it differently we think about it differently but with fish most people and i'm not saying spiros are as equally guilty although i think a lot of us are we have one or two or maybe three go-to recipes and we we treat most fish the same um do you agree disagree uh, what are your thoughts about this? How can we improve the situation? I agree completely. Being very passionate about cooking and the food I eat and especially being as closely linked to it as you're able to be in spearfishing, I'd say that, yeah, definitely across the board, people are very limited when it comes to cooking fish. And it's taking me years of traveling and being exposed to different recipes in different parts of the world and really going out of my way to try and learn different techniques to have a, a varied way of cooking the same fish. Um, I'd say New Zealand especially is a little behind the times as far as cutting edge recipes go. Mm. The, the kind of Are you on Blair's page? Well, yeah, eat, I, was eat, about, catch, I was about to get to Blair and <laughs> featuring Tim Caverman's page. <laughs> <laughs> I just got him in as an admin. <laughs> <laughs> He's the solo admin was, that you put on there. I was going to say, it's, it's a great exposure t- for people that don't have much experience of traveling and being able to pull from it their direct experiences Thanks, to be Andy, able to see for that. <laughs> yeah i think that whole fish cookbook if you have the right environment and the right like you say um tools for the job it's a great concept and being able to preserve your fish for extended periods of time and not waste anything but i think for the average person and with the average resource especially in warmer countries it really opens up a lot of room for parasites bacteria build up having spent a lot of time in the tropics 
I know the the worm is real. And uh, having a substantial amount of bacteria yourself. Um, yeah, there's a reason I've managed to keep this physique for the last 10 years. <laughs> I, could, I could suggest a couple programs if you're interested. Well, I'm just, no, I'm good. That's a six pack you're looking at. <laughs> um, it's in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you've seen uh, what happens to fish over time? Yeah, yeah, I'd say, especially in the warmer climates, um, the bacteria build up and. Something that I experienced when I was doing a lot of fish smoking in Zanzibar with the temperature that it is there. Um, just that bacterial buildup, the amount of parasites that are in the, the fish's stomach. A lot of the time when you gut them, there'll be big parasites moving through the stomach lining into the meat. So I was recommended by someone in the know that if you're going to eat it raw, to gut and, and get the stomach out as soon as possible. Because as soon as that fish dies, when the parasites move into the flesh of the meat... This is a very interesting topic, right? So some people say when you're on extended trips, you should always leave the gut in because it preserves the eating quality of the fish. Yeah. However, sometimes I'll, I'll – well, a lot of the time I'll gut them straight away and then I'll bleed the fish, and but I'll also pull all the guts out because sometimes it's really good burly too because whatever was yep. in that fish's digestive tract is probably whatever all the other fish of the similar species want to eat as well. So sometimes you can almost use it as a self-perpetuating burly. I've done it actually with like – um, different species of emperor, like in five meters, like there'll be a big school, but they don't come in close enough. So you shoot a smaller one, and then you gut it, and then you chuck out the guts, and then a, and then you go down on the burley and shoot a slightly bigger one, gut it, and throw out the guts again, and then you know until you've shot a half decent size one, and yeah, then you yeah. can hold up for Instagram. Just work your way up the food chain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Have you? What, what was your experience with all the guiding and stuff you did? Did you leave the guts in? Did you? Is this something you do all the time? You pull the guts straight out. So my experience, I'd say, in the beginning, we didn't know much about it, so we probably made a lot of mistakes and would leave the fish. So something I found as well with travelling is that fish in warmer climates don't deteriorate as quickly on the boat. So if you take a fish out of say 30 degree water and you put him on the boat in in 40 degrees. He's not going to deteriorate as quickly as a fish, say, in New Zealand, where you pull him out of 18-degree water into, say, 25 degrees sunlight on the boat. He's going to de deteriorate a lot quicker. Oh, okay. Um, so we used to leave our fish on the boat a lot of the time, and they wouldn't be as badly deteriorated as, say, a fish in New Zealand that you've only left on the deck for a couple hours. Oh. Um, but, yeah, we made a lot of mistakes and didn't run things as you would probably want to prepare a fish that you were planning on eating hmm. a lot of the time it would be sold it would go to the local market and yeah the the, the fish process in in rural africa there's no ice boxes there's no pr preservation hmm. there's no ice really accessible to you one thing with commercial fishing i don't think there's a lot of waste either because i think probably like all of the bones and shit go in the philodo fish patties that they sell at mcdonald's but when we do it recreationally, like, and there's a really good um, New Zealand Facebook group called um, Fish Heads, Free Fish Heads. Yep. And they try to connect that. people with, you know, um, fish carcasses because all of it's useful. You can use it for stock and soups and all the rest of it, which was another good thing in that whole fish cookbook. But a lot of us whack the fillets off, throw the rest in the bin. Or at best, we might throw it out at the boat ramp where at least the local crustaceans and shit probably get a feed out of it. But have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, very much so. I mean, w with being more and more sustainably minded and wanting to maximize your catch, especially dating an Asian, it's kind of led me to 
being able to consume parts of the fish that I never would have considered before. Mm. I mean, in Africa, nothing's wasted, but yeah, you, you're in the position where you wouldn't eat anything other than the fillets. Mm. Whereas now I'm getting into, like we have for dinner tonight, the wings of the kingfish. Oh which yeah, that were good. I'm sure traditionally in New Zealand, maybe 10 years, 15 years ago, wouldn't have been something that people would really consume. I know in Africa, we don't really eat the wings at all. And yeah, just oven roasted and a bit of rosemary in the oven is like unreal. I'll put on a bit of a, a, a photo of Blair and the spread he put on for us tonight because it was a bloody champion effort. So he shot a, a, a kingy out today at Little Barrier and that was a real example of a, of a Spiro's hospitality um, taken to an extreme, I think. There we, we had five different dishes there, Blair. Tell us what we, we, yeah, we had for dinner tonight, mate. Um, so we had sashimi, which is... My easiest one. <laughs> you just get a bit of meat and just slice it up. But your presentation, though. But and slicing <laughs> like for a rose, sashimi. Didn't it? Slicing for sh- sashimi. Lengthways or crossways? I don't know, mate. I'm not Japanese, but I, I go. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Captain Smolder, she's Asian. <laughs> or <laughs> she's got something to say on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I slab it up and then go across the grain. Yeah. Um, okay. And in, in nice. What, what I do, I, I get a big chunk of fish and then make it into a sort of rectangular slab. Yep. And the bits you've chopped off, cube it up and then put that into the um, lemon juice. You're right, mate. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's actually jet lagged. He's, he's getting really angry and he's ready to criticise oh, you. Say, you put the slabs of, before you sashimi it, you put it into the fridge to chill it down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as soon as the fish is out of the water, it's into the, yeah, ice. Into the ice. Unlike Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Where we don't have ice. What's this technology? <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I slab everything. Because um, if you're not making sashimi, you're making tataki or you're making, you know, fried slabs of it. But I- anything you take off the fish, I chop into little chunks and then just put it in lemon juice and make what, well, depending on where you are in the world, it's called kakonda or um, ikamata, where you put it in lemon juice and then let it soak for four or five hours or whatever and then put coconut cream and um, in various vegetables. Um, that's probably my favourite way of having it, to be fair. Mm. Um, yeah. And you made me feel like a heathen. I, 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 like, I sort of pride myself on my appetite for seafood, and um, you, but you had a spread in there that I was quite envious of. So you had sashimi, we had horseradish with soy with that. What else was next? Um... Well, the, the roasted wings that we talked about. Mm. Um, tataki, so it's just rolled in uh, sesame seeds and then just sort of flash fried every side um, and then chopped into little squares. Mm. Uh, what else did we have? Scallops. Oh, yeah, scallops. Let's not forget. <laughs> yeah, the scallops were good. God bless yeah. them. Yeah, so scallops are a bit of a treat here. We've we got a season on those, but James here was saying that their, um, their season in Melbourne is pretty much infinite. All year round, and we can take a hundred per person t- per day. And you could on scuba. You could do that on scuba. We can spearfish on scuba in Melbourne too. The you can do that here as well, mate. The, the, the scallop beds are in like four or five meters. They're very shallow, four to five meters. Uh, you'll start finding them through to even down to twenty meters if you want to dive that deep. But you can easily find. Yeah, we can shore dive them. How big are the um, are the shells? Uh, probably the biggest ones we find are a hundred mil across. That's that's our minimum here. Yeah, that's maybe a bit bit bigger, but it's rare to find 
much much bigger than that. So I have a question for Blair on the sustainability and fisheries and having a background in, in marine conservation. Can I, that, before you ask that, can yeah. I just go back to tonight's dinner? Um, <laughs> what are you guys doing with the leftover kingfish wings? Because this is a great way to great way to use the leftovers. If you've got, like we got two massive kingfish wings on top of all the other fillets that we had tonight and sometimes you have leftovers what's the best way to have it so for me with that real juicy meat that comes out of the out of the bones especially it's just so full of moisture um i'd make a tuna mayo but instead of using the tuna um you'd add just a little mayo because you don't need much because of how juicy the meat is but an onion tomato coriander sprinkle of lemon and some black pepper and that's straight on buttered toast in the morning. Absolute power. Sounds terrible. No bluefin were harmed. You put that on. Put that recipe on Blair's page. Yeah. <laughs> Eat what you kill. <laughs> Great um, page, Blair. Great so, page. So I got a I got a question <laughs> for the for the <laughs> for the scallop fisheries, and that is a concept called dredging in New Zealand, mm. which is quite a bizarre concept considering how forward thinking they are on ecology and preserving the environment, basically putting a huge suction pipe onto the bottom <coughs> of the ocean and driving up and down, dredging everything that's alive off the bottom, filtering it, and then keeping the scallops. Um, what, what's your opinion, or would you say, the impact of such a system on the environment is? Dredging is awful, and pretty much every diver I know reckons it should be banned. So, where the where the scallops live is generally not just clear sand. There'll be sponges, there'll be weed, there'll be just bits and pieces living there. As soon as you drive a um, dredge through that, it turns it all upside down, it just rips all this shit out. And some of those sponges, uh, they, they, they excrete a chemical, and that actually um, it makes this, the, the larval scallop settle onto the ground. And so that, that's what actually makes a scallop bed. So if you've... If you rip away all those sponges, then the scallops won't have any sort of signal to drop onto the seabed, and they'll just dis disappear. So not only are you taking away the scallops, and you're smashing the juvenile scallops, you're also making it so their signal to say, this is where you should be dropping, just won't be there. Yeah, so that seems like a very archaic, out-of-date practice and benefiting a very small minority of people in the fishing community you'd think that concepts such as that would be up for debate or at least be contested by the majority of the people that benefit from the fisheries Christmas. yeah well, it, it's not like it's bizarre everyone everyone that doesn't dredge knows that dredging is bad even probably half the people that dredge know that dredging is bad but they're just lazy yeah have efforts been made to stop it not as far as i'm aware so there, there were um, so so your platform, right? Eat, catch, kill. What was it? <laughs> that, Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like no. Okay, so in New Zealand, there's a couple of fantastic groups. There's the NZ Spiro Forum on Facebook, which is a phenomenal page. I'm an admin. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, that's just why I said platform, and I wasn't completely Wait, you want to joking. Start that part again. It's a nice segue, mate. That's yeah, Blair's page. Do you know that? Yeah, <laughs> got so many good pages. Yeah. he does. Spiro Tech. Always call it a good book. Eat what you kill. I actually started Facebook. You know that. <laughs> yeah, Blair Blair Zuckerberg. Um, <laughs> do you, Do you think that perhaps with your background, you're ideally suited 
um, I think David was going to suggest it, so but I'm going to put words in his mouth. Do you think that you're ideally situated to start a petition about this gross fishing? You're, pr you're probably not wrong. Um, it's it's something that is probably quite dear to my heart. There, there's a lot of things like that. There's a, the scallop dredging. There's the limits, our, our bag limits. Um, you know, the, the ways that bag limits are, are sort of counted. You know, if you catch a if you go jigging and you catch a kingfish and you bring up its head, to me that should be counted as a caught fish. Yep. You shouldn't be able to keep fishing, keep fishing, keep fishing, catch all these bloody heads of fish because sharks are catching them, and and you still haven't caught a fish because you haven't caught a fish, you know? It should just be a, a pair of lips should be counted as your bloody bag <laughs> lips, you know? You're a hard man. <laughs> Fuck it, man. Like, no, mate, like... <laughs> you, sh your point, you shouldn't... Cause each one of those fish is a dead fish that's only yeah. dead because of you, you know. And 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 same with the dredging. Like, I think that should be outlawed. And but there, there are certain places where it's probably the only way to get a, a scallop. And it's you, you kind of have to sort of weigh up the pros and cons. The the pros and cons. The the, the social benefit and the social negative and the, the the ecological benefit. You know, places like there's a place called the Kuiper Harbour. Pretty much no one dives there. A, it's very, very dirty, and B, it's filled up with bloody great white sharks. So no you one wants to go. Yeah, well, actually, to be honest, I think they've closed up the uh, the scallop fishery there because of um, the the actual stock just dropped because I think it was something to do with um, uh, the. I've got a big burp coming. Sorry. It's, it's not the cats. No, there, there's um, there's, there's a whole lot of um, uh, the the rivers and shit that just like sedimentated the, yep. the whole place and just just fucked the whole um, fishery. Sedimentated is, it, is that a new verb? <laughs> uh, there, it is, there it is. There it is. All right, I'm back. Okay. So what was the question? Um, sedimentated. Did you learn that in English, like when you were young, or is that something you've come up with all on your own? Like I told you earlier, mate. <laughs> the teachers wouldn't let me anywhere near them. <laughs> no, like one one other interesting aside I got from your thing was like fisheries management. It's nice that we can sit on our high horse sometimes and talk about this stuff, but we we aren't sometimes accounting for the social differences that that, that that need to be factored in and fisheries management should never be like blanket um, like in New Zealand they're, they're quite they seem to be quite smart in some ways in terms of zoning and the way in which they account for things and, and apply quotas and the rest of it and the, and I think that's a, a smart idea because there, there are different factors within different areas um, not just in terms of populations of animals but how they impact those communities and all the rest of it and uh, I dislike legislation that's applied uh, blank in a blanket fashion I think it's lazy and I think it's sloppy and ultimately it probably doesn't benefit anyone so it always needs to be done in a careful strategic and well-considered way um, and you know we're armchair critics at the end of the day but I think our opinions are, are valid and they need to be heard so it's good hmm um, thanks for that. <laughs> um, hashtag African poacher, but also um, hashtag trout pout. Uh, I wanted to get into that earlier. It's a, it's a serious um, thing on Instagram. Uh, Turbo used to talk about it all the time. Have you seen alarmed. fish bikinis? No, tell me about it. Look, Funny shit on. Look it up. Um, I, I believe that Shrek wants to start a few hashtag fish speedos. Fish oh, speedos. Are you going to unleash it now? The idea. <laughs> Them, we, can, we can edit this part out. <laughs> nah, so one thing like with a lot of spearfishing videos is they're pretty serious. So 
knowing that we were coming here, I was like, well, we're probably going to shoot our fish and then it's time to have fun. So I said, let's just prepare a list of gags that we could potentially do. One of them was... <laughs> was skinning a, a kingfish and making a pair of speedos out of the skin yeah. and king kingy um as the as the as the instagram thing i thought that would be a winner what do you Mate, guys think you, you should probably just skin a conger eel <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably a sea cucumber <laughs> <laughs> well, you get some bloody big conger eels but here, mate. One might be suitable. You bring up a really good point. There are a lot of phallic items in the ocean, aren't there? Um, there thanks are. for that reminder. But the, the Speedos made a kingy skin. I think we're on to a winner. I thought I'd also do that in combination with James and relive some Titanic moments. So me holding Rose up, but we're both in kingy Speedos. And also the other moment where, like... Um, Rose is holding Jack's hand and he drifts away into the water. I thought that could be another moment we could recreate. Never let go. Yeah. <laughs> With the soundtrack and everything, I thought, I'm going to wrap, wrap the sucker up. But, um, Do you reckon you got enough material? There's a few chip bites in there. I really enjoyed it. I was going to ask you guys, um, like, if you had one message for the spearfishing community, each brief message, um, what would it be? Shoot a fish for a feed, not a like. And mine is, it doesn't take a great hunter to shoot a good kingy. The kingy shouldn't be classified as, as, a, as a noble trophy. It's the low-hanging fruit. Leave the kingies alone. Shoot them for food, not for glory. Save sharks. <laughs> Save sharks. <laughs> Save sharks. <laughs> I know we can eat them. <laughs> Mine is along the same lines. It's uh, limit your kill, don't kill your limit. One of my mates just recently told me that, and I was like, I think that's a good one. Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. This was a good chat, guys, and uh, a lot of fun, a lot of ship fight. Uh, if you guys want to find anything that we chatted to today, I'll try and link up a whole bunch of stuff at newspirit.com forward slash nz1 because this is the first chat of a few that I'll do while I'm here. And uh, thanks for your hospitality, Blair. Um, I'm going to get you back on the podcast with your quiet, old, clever, wise self at some time in the future for a full-length interview. But uh, bloody awesome, man. And, um, yeah, the food was sensational, so over and out. Guys, you probably picked up on uh, the gag, gag I had running with uh, Blair Herbert during the episode. It's a fantastic group with some really good uh, recipes. So go to, if you want to find the Eat What You Kill, you can just search on Facebook. It'll also be linked up in today's show notes at newspiro.com forward slash NZ1. As well as a whole bunch of offers and discounts from New Spiro podcast sponsors. Um, get along there because remember that spearfishing businesses will be suffering with this uh, COVID-19 situation as are possibly many of you listening so yeah, look out, look after each other so um, next, the next episode is an interview with Rochelle Potter she's the world record holder for yellowtail kingfish uh, I believe just under 49 kilos which is well in excess of 110 pounds it's a huge fish and she she's got some 
She's got some tips for days. That one, a really cool interview that we did on the back deck of a 60-foot boat while we were at spearfishing at the Three Kings Islands. So this episode was made possible by Patreon listeners. I'd just like to say thank you for making this happen. I had an awesome time in New Zealand, and I really love getting out and doing these trips. So I hope when this uh, COVID situation is finished, we can get out and do some more. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash no I'm out. See you guys next episode. I love hearing spearfishing adventures. I love hearing about the challenges, the amazing moments, the special people, the fish, the crew, the prep, the highlights. I love the whole lot. And there's another place where you can hear and read about people's spearfishing adventures, people just like you. Check it out, spearingmagazine.com. Every story is full of those stoke moments that fuel the fire and get you excited for your next spearfishing adventure. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Is it time for an upgrade? I'm nodding. You can't see it, but I'm nodding. Because I'm thinking to myself, it's always time for an upgrade. Head over to spearfishing.com.au. One way I like to upgrade is by shopping bargains. End of line stuff. Sometimes there's always magic little finds to be had. Adreno used to have a, an email newsletter called Tight Ass Tuesday. Unfortunately, it no longer exists, although there is a clearance tab at spearfishing.com.au where a lot of the end of line stuff comes up, the bargains. It's the bargain bin, that's me. I'm not proud of myself. But that's how I shop sometimes. And look, you can save another $20 on everything over 200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Head over to spearfishing.com.au. You'll thank me later.